Well, welcome once again to Grace by Baptist Church to our Sunday School Hour. This is the lesson we're going to present on October 27th as we make our way through the book of Galatians. We kind of get into the, some of the more fun stuff. And uh, the foundation of all of this has been, of course, you can't add to the gospel, you can't take away from the gospel. In other words, you can't change the gospel. The gospel is always the gospel. This is the way God works. This is God's plan. This is God's doing. And uh, the reason it's that way is because there are no alternatives. You and I cannot produce what God demands, what God desires. And so God gives us, through His grace, the way that we produce these things in uh, our life. And the way that we become acceptable to God is by His working and not ours. Now, the Judaizers wanted to do something and take credit for what they do and that's just human nature, folks. That's just the way we always are. We like to think we're in control. We like to think that we're producing something. And bottom line, we like to think that we are good enough and we're better than other people. Other people may fail, but not us. We are good enough. And it's really popular right now. Uh, when you hear people say uh, and talk about things, they say, well, I just have come to realize and maybe through many tears and, uh, you know, they say, I, I found out that I'm enough. I'm enough. You know, the message of the Bible rejects that you're not enough. You're always inadequate when it comes to your relationship with God. And that's why God had to send his son because you and all of your good works, quote unquote, they're just not enough. You can never measure up to the standard of what God demands. And instead of taking that personally and getting down about that, I can never please God, just accept it and say, I could never please God. But what a wonderful, kind and gracious God he is that he would look down upon a poor sinner, a miserable sinner, an inadequate sinner like me and say, you, you can't, but I can. And you're not enough, but I am. And he sends his son to live the life we could never live, to die the death we could never even survive or experience and to bear the wrath of God in our place and be the perfect and ulti ultimate sacrifice for our sins so that we are free in Christ and we don't have anything to add to it. So we're going to look at Galatians 5, 16 through 21 today. And uh, boy, do you ever see in this that you are not even close to being enough. In fact, this is like a mirror that you look at and see who you really are. So with all due respect, you're not enough. None of us are. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we don't look to ourselves, but we look to God because, as we said, only he is enough and only he is sufficient. And that's what Paul's argument is. You're, you're going to look to some measly little thing that you can do, like circumcision or anything else, and you think that's enough and that makes you qualified to enter into God's presence, that that fits you for heaven? That's ridiculous when you look at who we really are and you look honestly. And sometimes we look, but we don't look honestly. We see what we want to see. Let's read our text. Galatians 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit 
and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Oh, okay, well, that's easy enough. Or is it? You ever tried to do that? And have you ever failed at doing that? Well, we all do. That's the problem. Walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, the converse of that is true. If you don't walk in the spirit, you will produce the works of the flesh. Verse 17, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, that's capital S, the Holy Spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. You don't need the law. The spirit would never violate what God demands, would it? If you're under the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, just in case you weren't terribly sure, are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outburst of wrath or anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's why we need to be passionate about grace and about the gospel, because what I just read, that's the news you're going to watch tonight. That's the podcast you're going to listen to. That's the movie you're going to go see. That's the relationship that you can't quite get right. I mean, this is just the world in which we live. This is the nature of the human being. Now, as we uh, think about these things, and I'm not going to go to the trouble of defining everything. You, you pretty much know what they mean. You get the gist of it. But uh, Paul is saying here that all of this stuff that we see, it's, it boils down to this. Are we walking under the control of the spirit or under the flesh? You really only have those two choices. And the flesh will do anything it can to get control of your life and it's prideful, it's arrogant, it thinks it is enough. And uh, anything that it does, well, that's just the way it is. You better accept it. And in, in pride and arrogance, we bring our lives before God and say, well, this is the best I can do. And if it's not good enough for you, then I'm sorry. No, we're the ones that are going to be sorry because the flesh disrupts life. It makes a mess out of everything and it makes us unacceptable to God. That's why we need Jesus. So consider these points. Number one, flesh and spirit do not work together. They don't cooperate. They don't get along. They don't say, you do your part and I'll do my part. And you work sometimes and I'll share with you. You lead sometimes and then other times I'll lead. No, it's going to be one or the other. And one is going to dominate or the other is going to dominate. So that's why Paul says in verse 16, I say then, walk in the spirit, sounds easy, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh because the flesh 
lust against the spirit, their enemies, and the spirit against the flesh. Again, they're enemies. It goes both ways. And God is not kind of tolerant on one hand, but the flesh is not. And the flesh is not tolerant on one hand, and God is not. Both of them are completely and totally intolerant of the other. The flesh hates the spirit, and the spirit does not want to be controlled by the flesh and will not be controlled by the flesh. And that's the battle that goes on inside of every one of us. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. All of us look and we go, well, I wish I hadn't done that. Well, I ought not do this. And then we do it anyway. Uh, We all have that thing going on. Even Paul said in Romans 7, I don't do the things that I want to do and I do the things that I don't want to do. And then he says, (coughs) pardon me, in desperation, oh, wretched man that I am, Who shall deliver me? And then he tells us it's Christ. And that, brothers and sisters, is why you need the gospel every day. The gospel is not just, I walked an aisle, prayed a prayer. I'm done with that. Now I'm going to move on to other things. The gospel permeates every doctrine, every truth, and every part of the Christian life. I am not enough. I'm never enough. I can't, but he can. And we try so hard But we fall short because we don't walk in the spirit under the spirit's control. We try to do it ourselves, thinking that we are talented enough, we're good enough, and we can make it, we can handle it, and it'll all be okay. So the simple truth is simply this. Crucify the flesh by walking in the spirit. How do I overcome sin? By walking in the spirit. How do I break bad habits? By walking in the spirit. How do I renew my mind? and get rid of all of the junk that's in there by walking in the Spirit. So easy, so simple, so very difficult, isn't it? So, flesh or spirit, think about this. One is going to dominate, and there's always a fight for that domination, for that control in your life. Think about this, John 3, 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The the origin really matters. There may be something that looks really spiritual, really good, really godly, really caring, really loving, but if it was born of the flesh, then it's going to be stinking nasty old flesh when you get down to the motive and the real part of it. That's why we're called to do all things for the glory of God, not our glory, not the glory of the flesh. But oh, the flesh loves to be patted on the back, pumped up and praised. And uh, that's, that's where the problem comes in because it's rooted in pride, which of course God hates. John 6 verse 63 says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Then he goes on to say, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Now, what is that saying? The only way we can walk in the Spirit is to walk by the words of Christ, which are in the Spirit, and they are life. That means we've got to have the Word of God. You cannot function without the Word of God. You cannot be what you are supposed to be and what you want to be without the Word of God. That's why the Bible tells us <coughs> we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We need the Word of God. We need the fellowship. We need to 
as it says in Hebrews 10, 24, consider one another. In other words, it's not about you and what you want, what you need or what you get. We come here to serve. We come here to minister. How we can encourage one another to love and good deeds by not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. And so we look at that and we realize God wants us together, commands us together. It is a sin not to gather because we are depriving other people of the encouragement that they need to do love and good works. And I think we can also say this, we're depriving ourselves of that too, because the more isolated we are, the more alone we are, the more distant we are from the body, the more we can convince ourselves and it's flesh, the more we can convince ourselves that we are really walking and living the uh, perfect Christian life. Everything is <coughs> great between me and Jesus. You know, who could ask for anything more? Well, there's a whole lot more that needs to come out of you because you're not finished yet. My associate pastor at uh, Tuttle used to talk about cooking a turkey and the turkey had that little thing that, you know, it pops out when it's done. And he would say to people, he goes, I've got bad news for you. Your done button hadn't popped out yet. Well, good way to think of it, isn't it? We all have a ways to go. We all need improvement. We all need correction. We all need discipline. And God has designed that we do that in a togetherness sort of thing because we never really see it. We never really get it until we're alone. I can uh, hang around a person like Mike Johnson, the guy that does uh, our Christmas musical narrations. I can hang around him five minutes and just see how unkind that I am because that guy just oozes with kindness and it's genuine. It's just who he is. And being around him reminds me that I've still got a ways to go. It helps me in other words, it doesn't depress me. It encourages me because there's a living example of what kindness is really like. There are other people that I get the same vibe from them when I see their commitment and their diligence and their discipline and their holiness, things like that, that come out of them. And I hope that my life is an encouragement to you and to other people about honoring Christ, living for Christ, loving Christ and loving other people. And we have to have that because we're all inadequate. Again, we're not enough. And the flesh is fighting for control of us. I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it. And whatever makes me comfortable, whatever makes me happy, I don't need that. I'm bored by that. I'm not interested in that. I don't care about that is really not the fruit of the spirit, is it? It's not Christ likeness, is it? But we come up with all kinds of excuses in order to be what we're going to be. And even the excuses where we violate the scripture to our own peril, but we feel good about it because we have come up with our own excuse. Number two, someone or something or someone is controlling and leading you. Now that's a good question as to who. Now we would all like to think it's the spirit of God, that we're walking in the spirit, but it may be the flesh and it may be giving grounds to the enemy and we're too dumb to even know it or to see it because we're fooling ourselves. The Bible says that we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth 
right? Because if we don't, what are we doing? We're deceiving, not God, and we're probably not deceiving other people. They can tell that we're lazy. They can tell that we're compromised. They can tell that all we think about is ourselves and our own comfort, but we can't, and we come up with all kinds of excuses. So something or someone is controlling and leading you. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You don't need a bunch of rules when you're led by the Spirit. You don't check off the list when you're led by the Spirit. You just live. And you live and you bear fruit. We'll talk about that next week. And it's a natural part of your life. But if you're under the law and you're living by the flesh, you always have to defend yourself. You always have to explain yourself. You always have to cover yourself and all of those type of things. But if we would just do what God wants us to do in the power of the Holy Spirit, we would always be at the right place at the right time, doing the right things, and we would do it for the right motive, the glory of God, and we would do it by His power and His strength. Sounds easy, right? I mean, it is when you get right down to it, and yet it's so incredibly hard because we are not bent that way. We don't like to submit to anything or anyone, and we want to do what we want to do, and uh, that's not the way the Christian life works. <clears throat> now, the flesh responds to the law. Why would the flesh love the law? Well, because it, it can take pride in itself. Look what I've done. And look what I haven't done. Look how good I am. Look how the perfection is working in my life because I am a good person. I am a disciplined person. I have made this happen. You know, and the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. How many people do you know that boast about what kind of a good Christian they are? I had someone say to me in my office one time, I won't use the words they use because it was profane, but I'm a D good Christian. Isn't that kind of weird and kind of funny? Not funny, haha, but funny, strange that somebody would use that type of thing. But that's an expression of how the flesh is. That's how they think about themselves. And you can take it or leave it. You can like it or lump it. They don't really care about you or anybody else. It's what they think and what they want to do. Think about the Judaizers imposing all of that upon those poor Galatians. That's what they do. That's the work of the flesh. And we do that all the time with other people. We have a standard that we meet and we expect everybody else to meet our standard, but we don't really want to rise to meeting the standard of the Word of God. Hence our excuses and hence our cover-ups and our defensiveness and all of that type of thing. Why don't we just do what the Scripture says by the Holy Spirit, because the flesh can't take pride in that, right? And uh, the flesh loves to rebel against God. This is one of the reasons why uh, sex outside of marriage is such a hard thing. You take the uh, sexual act itself and you're giving the body uh, one of the biggest thrills you could ever give it. And when it's done outside of marriage, you give the flesh, the sin nature, the biggest thrill it can get, which is rebellion against God. Oh man, that's an unbeatable combination. No wonder our society is so perverse and so immoral because people are living in the flesh, rebelling against God and doing unspeakable things 
that also rebel against God and give the body the thrill that it wants. And when that gets old, what do we do? We look for something more. When that gets old and normal, we look for something more. And so we just keep adding and adding and adding to all of this and it compounds all of our problems. That's why God said no to sex outside of marriage. Do it his way and do it in a way that is right and in a way that will be blessed. And it's a wonderful joy to be able to do that, isn't it? But the flesh loves to rebel against God, even religiously, religiously and morally sometimes, as well as perversely, to rebel against God, but that's where it finds its thrill. It can take pride in itself, it can rebel against God, and it can rule. It wants to be in control. Little, I can say that. Now, understand that the Spirit responds to grace. In order to be under grace, you've got to be humble. You have to come to God and say, I can't. I failed. I'm a sinner. All I produce is sin. All I produce is things that are repugnant to you. I can never measure up to your standard. I am a sinner. It's the publican and the Pharisee that we've talked about so many times in these lessons. I thank thee that I am not as other men are, even as this publican. And then he begins to quote all of the things that he does. Remember, I tithe of all I possess and all of those kind of things. And what did the publican do? In humility, he beat his breast, wouldn't look to heaven, felt unworthy to be there, miserable in his sin. And he says this, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He didn't have anything to brag about. And Jesus said only one went out justified because only one received grace. And the Bible says God resists the proud. That would be the Pharisee. That might even be you. Might even be me at times but he gives grace to the humble. That's when we're walking in the spirit, when we are humbling ourselves, when we are obeying God and we're saying, I'm just going to do what you said to do and trust you to give me the strength, trust you to give me the power. And so we walk in the spirit. That's what makes us witness. That's what makes us give. That's what makes us pray. That's what makes us interested in the scriptures, the word of God. That's what causes us to be humble and to serve other people. And we could go on and on and on. This is the true Christian life. The spirit responds to grace, the flesh to law, because humility and submission are a part of the work of the spirit of God, aren't they? And they are also the work of grace. And when that happens, all the glory goes to God. God did it. God did it in us. God did it through us. I didn't do it for him. He did it through me. I give the praise and the glory to him. Even my salvation is all of him. All the glory goes to God. Now, testifying of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ's death and resurrection. I am nothing. I am insufficient. He is everything. He is the ultimate. We've always got to remember that, and that should be on display in our lives. Think of the verse where Jesus said, let your light shine before men. Okay, I'm going to be a light for Jesus. I don't have any light to shine in me and in and of myself. Paul said, in my flesh, there is no good thing. There's no light. I can't work it up, conjure it up, and shine my light and say, look how bright I am, shining for Jesus. 
it's His light shining through me. I don't take credit for it. It's His light, and He shines it, right? It's all about the gospel. It's all about the sufficiency of Christ and the inadequacy of man, even long after we're saved. This is still the story. We're inadequate. We can't, but He can. And uh, grace and the Spirit, it enhances the gospel's good news and makes it not just good news, but good news indeed. I couldn't function. I couldn't live. There's very little in my life that I really have any choice about. I mean, did, did you choose to be born? Did you choose your birth date? Did you choose the year and the time and the situation you would be born in? Did you choose your race, your skin color? Did you choose what nation you would be born in? Did you choose what opportunities would be out there in front of you? Did you choose your intellectual ability, your athletic ability? Did you choose any of those things, your aptitudes? Not really. You may have taken those and worked with what you had, and maybe there was some enhancement that you did, but when the bottom line comes in, you didn't. This was of God. Some people live and they never hear the gospel. You, you did. Some people live and they never possess a Bible, but you do. Why? I don't know. But it's just the grace, the undeserved favor of God. That should make us walk in humility, not in arrogance or self-sufficiency. Number three, the flesh cannot hide for long. Oh, we don't need to talk about that very much, do we? Because the Bible says in the first part of 19, now the works of the flesh are, what's that next word? Evident. Now you may suppress the, ple the flesh for a while, but uh, boy, it's like putting a lid on a boiling kettle of water. It's going to come off at some point. You cannot keep it completely subdued. Only Christ can do that. And the flesh can't be compromised with. It's, it can't be satisfied. Sometimes we think, well, I'm just under such stress and pressure. I just need a little relief, so I'll do this. And we kind of satisfy the flesh. And the flesh, all that does is feed it and make it stronger and make it stronger. You've got to kill it. You've got to crucify it. John MacArthur uses the illustration of when King Saul conquered the um, Ammonites, I think it was. Uh, and uh, there was a king there that he was supposed to kill as well, and he didn't want to do it. He wanted to compromise with it. So God sent Samuel in there, and Samuel hacked this king, this pagan king, Agag, to pieces. Now, when we look at that, it's kind of a gruesome story, but he says that that is an apt illustration of how we deal with the flesh. We don't pacify it, codify it, get along with it, uh, throw it a bone every once in a while because it doesn't curl up and say, oh, I'm satisfied now. It never does that. These appetites increase and they get stronger and you've got to deal with the flesh like Samuel dealt with King Agag. You've got to deal with sin and go to war against it or it is going to dominate you. It's deceitful, it's wicked, it's like your heart. And the works of the flesh are evident. And so um, the flesh wants to be free to do what it craves. That's what a lot of people say. I'm just so free because they're doing what they want to do, not what God wants them to do. 
and the flesh will only be quiet for so long, and the flesh will only restrain itself if it is beneficial and advantageous to the flesh. Think about that. There are some things you don't do, not because you don't want to do them, because it wouldn't be prudent, to quote George H.W. Bush, wouldn't be prudent. And uh, we don't want to be embarrassed and we don't want to lose our jobs and we don't want to lose our standing in the community or maybe in the church or something like that. It's still the flesh and the flesh is just saying, shh, just be quiet, just be quiet, just be quiet, just be quiet. And when we think about the flesh expressing itself, think about this. Sometimes it's repulsive. You can see people on the news. You can see people, I think about what Hamas is doing in Israel as we record this. Repulsive. They're animals, we would say. Well, that's the way the flesh works in your life and my life as well. Sometimes it's repulsive. Sometimes the thoughts and the motives and the desires come up. Where in the world did that come from? That is horrible. I can't believe I'm thinking like that. Well, that comes from the flesh. Sometimes it's polite. The flesh can be very, very nice if it gets something out of it. If it gets recognition, if it gets praise, it can be very, very nice. Sometimes it's very religious. Man is incurably religious. And so we can go and we can endure some things and we can put up with some things and we can smile and we can affirm and say amen and all of that. And the flesh you know, we'll kind of put up with that if it gets what it wants out of it, but it won't do it for long because the flesh always is proud and always arrogant, always wanting control. And eventually, boom, it comes out like a lid coming off of a pressure cooker. Number four, the flesh may not do all of these, but certainly could. Now, when we look at verses 19 through 21, the works of the flesh, I mean, you may be able to look at it and you may be kind of a religious flesh person and there are things and you go, oh, oh my, oh, that would be offensive. Oh, I would be horrified. I would, I just can't believe anybody would do that. But yet there are people who do. Our prisons are filled with people who do some of these things. There are people who live, you know, as ungodly as you can imagine. Sometimes we call them terrorists and other times we call them pagan and uh, we have all kinds of names for them and we look and say oh how could they do that I would never do that yeah here's here's the bad news but you could but you could you've got that capability so don't look your down your nose at anybody you could if you wanted to and if it was advantageous to you you would if you were controlled by the flesh so uh, you know that's the thing we don't like to think about so the Bible says in verses 19 through 21, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, enough of that going around, right? Even in the church, fornication, think about what young people do before they're married, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. And by the way, that word sorcery there is very interesting in the Greek that word sorcery is pharmakeia because in witchcraft they would use drugs to get them in a state of mind to do their incantations and their spells. In other words, drug abuse. Boy, do we ever live in a drug addicted society and drunken society. Uh, isn't that interesting? So we may be more guilty of that than we think. Um, hatred, contentions, jealousies, 
outburst of wrath, road rage maybe, uh, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, murders, drunkenness, revelries. And then he has to say this, and the like. You know what that means? There's a whole lot more than these. These are not the only ones. There's a whole lot more than this that we are capable of doing. And sometimes they're polite. Sometimes they are acceptable in society. Sometimes they're uh, revolting and people are put in prison or executed because of them. And yet they're all the same. They're motivated by the flesh, not by the spirit. Well, how do I quit doing this? Again, die to self and walk in the spirit. And Paul goes on to say, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the flesh produces sexual sins. We see that in here. The flesh produces religious lies, the idolatries and different things like that that are in there. And the flesh produces relationship problems. We've all been victimized by that. We've all been a part of that type of thing, but it's all the work of the flesh. Now, get a dictionary and look some of these words up if you're not sure they are, but I kind of have a sneaking suspicion. You, you pretty well got these. You've seen them. We've seen them in the world. We've seen them in our family. We've seen them in churches. We've seen them in the religious world. We've seen them in the political world. We've just, we've just seen them all the time. And they are more evident now than ever before because of social media and things like that. We, we've just seen it. And aren't we sick of it? And isn't this what we hate about our world and about the systems that are in our world? And there's only one solution, and that's Jesus Christ and receiving his Holy Spirit when we're saved and walking in the Spirit. So in conclusion, only the Spirit can produce salvation, sanctification, or anything that pleases God. The flesh is rebellious and self-serving and corrupts everything it touches. It fights the Spirit and cooperates with demons. And this explains why self-effort, self-religion, our good works are always inadequate because we need a perfect Savior that comes from God. And when you think about Jesus, it's amazing because in this passage, you can read about the works of the flesh, which Jesus never produced. Even his anger was a righteous anger, and he always produced the fruit of the Spirit. And we'll look at that next week, and we'll look forward to being with you then. So thank you for your time. Thank you for watching this. Thank you for your preparation, teachers. And thank you for those of you who are watching to keep up with your class. I'm really happy that you're doing that. And may the Lord bless all of you and all of us for His glory. And may we walk in the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Crucify the flesh, walk in the Spirit. That's the bottom line. Thank you so much. God bless.